time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. Hey, welcome to the podcast. This is the Thrivology Podcast, and I am Lee Bauckham. We're here to work on ways to thrive in life, no matter what's coming our way. And today I want to talk a little bit about a a kind of a cultural thing that I've watched on the increase over time. And this is one of those cultural pieces that works against our self-development. It works against us being our best selves. And that is the fact that we are in an ever-increasingly cultural place of blame. We live in a culture of blame that likes to look out there to see what's wrong. Now, let me tell you that I'm not talking here about the politics going on, although that does reflect where we are as a culture, because what I want to focus on is how this personally gets in our way. I'm here to talk about how we as individuals, each one of us, needs to look and ask, is there a shift I need to make so that my life is in a better place, so that my world is in a better place, my, my little sphere of influence around me might be in a better place. As we talk about this, one of the things we want to talk about is what I mean by blame. So let me tell you how subtle this can slip in. A couple of days ago, someone called me on the phone. Uh, They had gotten one of my online courses, and they didn't get it. And so I picked up the phone and and answered, and the first thing they said was, I didn't get my online course. And so it took me a few moments to gather a little bit of information, and I went back and looked, and I said, you know what? Here's what happened. You didn't quite complete the process to get there, because otherwise you would have ended up right on the course page. Now, I was trying to explain to them what had happened because I was staring at it on my computer. I could see exactly where they had fallen through. The person stepped back and said, so you're blaming me for this. This is my fault that I didn't get your course, which kind of shocked me because I was truthfully at a place of trying to fix the situation. I was trying to solve what was going wrong. And I said, no, no, I'm just explaining to you the process. So the person began to accuse me of blaming them repeatedly about how it was my fault. I was the one that had, had messed up. Now, here's the irony of this. This same process has been used repeatedly by people around the world to access the exact same course. In other words, the setup works. Lots of people start the process and end up exactly where they need to be to get the information. And the fact was that this person had not quite followed the directions. I wasn't blaming them for having done that. I was just explaining that that was how the process works. Instead of seeing that there might have been a mistake on their side, instead of of seeing that there might be a possibility that we could get through this just with a couple of steps, the person immediately launched into blame mode. Not only were they in blame mode, but they had assumed that I was in blame mode. I was actually in explanation mode and problem-solving mode. Those are different modes in our brain, but that person wanted to prove that they had done nothing wrong and prove that I had messed up. I wasn't really out to prove anything one way or the other. My process was to get them the help they wanted. My assumption was that they had gone through the trouble of purchasing my program because 
they wanted what was in the program. They wanted to make some progress in their life in this particular program on how to help their relationship. And so my built-in assumption was that our conversation on the phone was to solve a problem. What I realized pretty quickly was maybe that person did want to get that information, but their primary place was to demonstrate that I had messed up, not them. Now, this is a reflection, I think, of a culture that is getting more and more power and process, that we're watching a world that's awash in blame. It's a culture of blame that basically wants to say, this is not my fault. It's not my fault. You see, blame is when we look for an outward target of the problem of the situation or the issue that you don't like. And that really is one of the the things that we notice in culture right now. We start blaming if we don't like what's going on. If we like what's going on, there's no reason for us to blame. We think that everything's going well, and we might even attribute some success maybe to someone else. Years ago, I was called in to work with a leader, and uh, it wasn't the leader's choice that I was there. It was the board's choice that I was there. And so I began to talk with this leader and watch this leader interact with others. And one of the things I noticed is that there were two pieces missing from the leadership of this leader. In fact, I find these to be two central pieces of good leadership of an organization. The first one was that whenever there was a problem, he sat down and said, who's getting chopped for this? That was his statement in the meetings. Who's getting chopped for this? He was looking for who to blame for the situation. The second mistake was that every time there was any level of success, no matter who had done it, he immediately said, well, we can thank me for that success. We can look to me for the reason that we're at this place. The problem was that his whole organization was completely demoralized in the process because every time there was a problem, he found somebody to point the finger at. Every time there was a success, that finger turned right towards him, even if his team had put in that hard work. He had created a culture of blame. And the interesting thing was to watch how it played out in his staff. Because as soon as he went to blame, they did too. It spread like wildfire. As soon as something happened, everybody in the room would start pointing the finger at somebody else, and I could watch it run down the chain of command. So who, who was, who's to blame? And down it would drop, down it would drop, down it would drop, until somebody was left that usually had very little power, very little influence, and was just doing their job. Conversely, everybody knew that no matter how much work they got, they weren't going to get the accolades. So they didn't work very hard. They weren't looking for the successes because they knew that they weren't going to get credit. They knew he was going to take credit. And so they didn't worry about it. They didn't see it as their responsibility to bring successes in. They did see it as their role of finding who did things wrong. And that really is the problem of the blame game. It gets us to turn more and more outward. Now, sure, there is such thing as self-blame. Sometimes we blame ourselves for things that have happened. 
that we don't even deserve to blame ourselves for. Sometimes it's appropriate that we say, wow, I made that mistake, but we don't have to resort to blame. I'm going to talk about how we make that shift in just a minute, but recognize that this whole piece of blame ends up getting us more and more stuck. And when we're looking for blame, we're rarely stepping into something better, rarely stepping into something higher. Here's the problem with blame. The first thing is it's always looking for the simple answers. In that meeting room, that leader was looking for the one person to blame for all the problems that were happening in the company. Now, there were lots of reasons why this company was struggling. One was that they were using some very outdated processes. The second thing was they were in a market that was rapidly transitioning away from how it had ever happened before. Disintermediation would be the term we use now, but this company was in trouble because they were getting shuffled out of the process. The third piece is that they had repeatedly spread out the process to people who were no longer owning it. So one person would have one little piece, one little nugget, instead of having a wider array. And the fourth problem was they had stopped learning They decided that they had mastered this long ago, and so if it was a mistake, it was because somebody screwed up on the process that they had mastered long ago. So they were looking for the simple answers. You see, we humans really don't like messy. (laughs) We have a hard time thinking about all of the reasons, all of the causations of problems, all of the intersections of, of things at one time. And so instead of dealing with the messy We sometimes like to narrow it down and find just something to blame. We like to target the small pieces rather than sometimes noticing the bigger pieces around there. And so we take shortcuts. It's how our brain works. If we're not careful to hold that back, we we make mental shortcuts to try to understand things that are much more complex. And really, it's not so much try to understand as much as to explain some things that are more complex than that. And we also tend to do something else as a a mental process. We ignore contrary evidence. Things that would challenge our belief system that we've already established, we often fail to notice unless we set up a culture that allows that. And a culture of blame is usually about finding the simple solution, the simple answer that gives us the scapegoat. And that's the last piece of the, the simple answer. It requires a scapegoat. This person could find that one person who needed to be in trouble. Which meant that his staff lived in constant fear of being that one person. So much so that they themselves started to do the blame game. So much so that they themselves didn't want to accept any responsibility, which is the next step up of the process. Instead, they played into the blame game too. The second thing that happens with blame, the second problem with blame, is it always includes justifications and excuses. The leader would give plenty of reasons to the board on why things were going wrong, his justifications of why this wasn't his problem, and lots of excuses. And so he would always talk about the next quarter was going to kill it because, you know, they knew that they just needed to find the right people and get rid of the wrong people. That was his constant refrain to the board, which is why I was brought into the process. Not only that, but those justifications, he was believing himself. And so he wasn't willing to be stretched and challenged. And the excuses kept him from looking at it. 
Whenever we put ourselves on the outside of the mess, even when we're causing the mess, it keeps us from really trying much because we're constantly looking to see where we can point the finger, where we can name the other person or the other situation or the other problem that's causing it. The third problem with blame, and this is the big one, is that it keeps us personally stuck. Because if somebody else calls the mess and they're maintaining that mess, we ask the question, what can I do? This is where we begin to see how culturally we've gotten to the place where we're stuck. People don't believe that they can do anything to affect their own life. And in the process, they stop trying to do anything to affect their own life, to improve their own life. And this is where blame keeps us from moving forward in life. It keeps us from working through self-development. So is there hope? I mean, if we're in a culture of blame, can we do anything? Well, interestingly, I've noticed that the culture of blame shifts when we go to our own personal choices. And so as I worked with this leader, I also began to work with the culture of the company. And I began to suggest a couple of things to the leader. One is that in leadership, the chain of command always ends up on his desk. If something is not working, it ends up being his responsibility to make a shift somewhere along the way. Not just to get rid of somebody that he can blame, but to look at it from a responsibility we're going to talk about that in just a minute, a responsibility place. So these shifts that happen can cause a change all around us. When he began to give people credit for successes that they were doing and take responsibility for the problems that they were having as a way of saying, let's move forward from this, the culture began to shift. Other people were willing to also give credit to success to other people. Other people were willing to stop looking at blame and they shifted to another culture that I want to talk about in just a minute. So the first shift is from blame to responsibility. Now, one of the things that we have in our culture is a misunderstanding of responsibility. And I think it probably dates back to how often parents talk to their kids. Something gets broken and somebody says, who's responsible for that? Which is basically another way of saying, who can I blame for that? I was talking with a parent who was in full force about trying to uh, get a child to admit that they had broken something, a vase. It was kind of like a vase in the house. It was a, it was a nice piece in the house. And I had both parents there, and this child who was the scapegoat of the family was being forced into admission that this child had caused the damage. And the one parent was insisting that that had to happen. And finally, the other parent quietly said, you know, I warned you about putting that vase on that counter over and over. I kept telling you that it was going to get knocked over. And so I'm not really sure that we can blame our child for that. I think that there is somewhere that we have to take some responsibility for the setup. Now, even in that, I had to step back and ask the question, what are you going to do now? Not how did it happen, but what are you going to do now? What's the process for moving forward with this? Because one of the things that often happens when we're stuck in blame is looking for things that have already happened and cannot be changed. So blame 
If we make the shift from blame to responsibility, blame is about who did it. Blame is trying to find somebody to point the finger at, find somebody to say, this is the cause. Responsibility is asking the question, what now? And see, we often believe that if we're saying I'm responsible for something, we're actually saying blame me. Responsibility, I love the word, responsibility, the ability to respond. We all have it. We all have the ability to respond. And the question is whether we're going to respond the way we've been or we choose a different response. We find a response ability, a re- ability to respond differently to the situation once we change the frame. I've often talked about this, but I'll use it again because it fits so well here. If you're in the middle of a house and the house is on fire and it's burning down, it probably is not particularly helpful to ask the question, who did this? Who caused this fire? There may be a time that you have to figure that out. There may be a time that you have to figure out the root cause of this. But at that moment, when everything is collapsing around you, when the fire is raging around you, That's when people often stop and ask, who did this? Rather than asking a better question, what do I do to get me and everyone else out of here safely? How can I respond to this in a way that helps us avoid tragedy? Who's to blame? How can I be responsible? That's the first shift. Can we move away from blame to ask the question of response ability? What is my ability to respond? Which leads us to shift number two, What can I do? What can I do? A lot of times people stop with that question because they say, why should I have to do anything? Rather than changing it around, instead of asking, why should I? Just simply asking, what can I do? How can I make a difference in this situation? Now, sometimes this is really fighting against culture. Not only was I dealing with the leadership of that company, but I also began to work with the workers to help them understand that there is always somewhere they can show up better to work. They can decide to enter into the workplace with more, um, more knowledge, more thought process, more willingness to engage without being caught up in what the one person at the top was saying. Because what I pointed out was there were others watching They were watching each other and they needed to change the culture from within and to ask the question at every stage and every level, what can I do? How can I make this better in my little world? How can I make sure that I'm on top of that? Which brings us to the third shift. In a lot of companies, failure means something's wrong. But in the smart companies, failure is a step towards success. Now, just for a minute, I want you to ask the question, isn't that true in our individual lives? If you think back on the places where you learned the most and grew the most, my guess is that there are places where in that moment you might have failed. One of the stories I was telling just a few days ago, I was at my jujitsu class and some people had found out that I write books. And so they were kind of asking questions about that. And One of the things that somebody asks is, have you always known you're a good writer? And I actually said, I never thought I was a good writer. And yet I write books. And so the change for me, the pivot point for me happened in college. It was Comp 101. I 
couldn't tell you the name of the professor, but I do remember him. He was a middle-aged gentleman with round uh, glasses who could stare you down from across the desk. And his assignment that first class was a paper that once was graded, we had to appear in his office to talk with him about it. And I remember I got the paper back, and I'm pretty sure it was a C-. minus. Now, I've never been an A student. I've never been, you know, straight A student by far. I was a mediocre student in high school at best. And uh, so one of the little pieces that uh, was, has always been a, a hidden part of my life is my dyslexia. Uh, I'm dyslexic, and so that gave me some struggles. And I also gave up on getting straight A somewhere along the way. So I settled for okay grades. And so I wrote my paper and turned it in. I was expecting, you know, my favorite grade of a B. And I got the C minus, and I remember feeling kind of upset about it. And so I went to his office, and I sat down across from him, and he said, so, what do you think of that? And I said, well, you know, I was hoping for a little bit better. He said, yeah, I, I was hoping for a little bit better for you, too. And then he looked at me, and he said, can I tell you something? And I said, sure. And he said, your paper was one of the best papers in the class. And I said, oh. So the best paper in the class was a C minus? He said, oh, no, I had some A's in the class. I had some A's and B's in the class. Your paper was one of the better, but let me ask you another question. I said, okay. He said, was this your first draft? I remember feeling the flush of my face that I had been found out. It was indeed my first draft. And he said, see, here's the thing. You could be a really good writer if you tried, but you're not going to be a good writer on your first draft. You're only going to be a writer when you put in the effort, but you have the capacity of being a great writer. In fact, this was still one of the best papers in the class. And if you had spent the time revising it, my guess is it would have been at the top. I left that office completely confused. I had a C minus, and yet it was one of the better papers. And yet he told me something that turned my thinking around. I realized that I really had not put in the effort. I had failed on that paper, both to myself and on that grade. And he was exactly right. I didn't deserve better than a C minus. I hadn't put in the effort. But in that failure, I realized something about myself. I had capacity. Now, I've talked about jujitsu, that I've been doing some jujitsu. And one of the things that often happens now is I'll get caught in somebody else's uh, move. You know, they'll pin me down, they'll submit me in some way. And I realized that I could either go through that process going, oh man, I screwed up again. Or I could do something different and say, hey, how did I get myself in trouble? The person had just caught me in a submission and it was easy for me to say, how did I leave myself open for that? How'd you get me that way? What I realized is that failure is a part of success. If I expect to go out in jujitsu and take everybody down and submit every single person that comes along, I'm going to feel like a failure all along. But if I say I failed in that, so what can I learn from that? That begins to change things. So we can make a shift from failure to failure as a part of success. Failure tells us what wasn't working so we can change it to something that does work. We take responsibility instead of saying, well, I can't do that to change it to how can I do that? Which brings us to the fourth shift, which is learning lessons. Blame is about establishing what happened 
pointing the finger at somebody and assuming, therefore, things are shot, things are ruined. But we have the capacity of learning. That's what makes us humans so unique. We have this capacity of learning and reflecting and thinking back on things in ways that other creatures can't because we have this great thing called language. So I can say to somebody at jujitsu, hey, how did you do that? Show me how you got me stuck. Show me how you submitted me. They're usually happy to do that because I'm in learning mode. I'm not saying, oh man, you cheated on me. I'm not saying, oh, you caught me by surprise. I'm not saying, well, you didn't really have me. I just let it go. I'm saying, wow, you got me. Teach me how I messed up. One of the biggest shifts we can make to get away from blame is to ask the question, what do I need to learn about the, the fail I'm at now? At the place I'm stuck now, what do we need to learn? What do I need to reflect on? How can I take responsibility and how can I shift away from blame? The biggest piece of this is that we as humans have the capacity of making that shift at any point. We have a choice of shifting from blame to responsibility, no matter what culture is telling us, and decide that success is based on the failures giving us the data points so that we can learn and move to something new. If this has been helpful for you, I hope you'll share it. I hope you'll leave a review for, for wherever you found this. Uh, just leave a review at iTunes or other places uh, and let us know how we uh, can improve the show or how much you liked it. And if you want to share, it's very easy to share this on your Twitter. Uh, you can simply go to um, your, uh, a browser on your phone or anywhere else and just type in thrivology.com slash love. Thrivology.com slash love. That'll put a pre-created tweet that just says how much you love this and how people can find it. And you can send them there. And if you're looking for other ways of thriving, I hope you'll check out my book, Thrive Principles, or my other book, The Immutable Laws of Living, or the recently released The Forgive Process. You can find links to all of those in the show notes, show notes or visit my website at leebalcom, L-E-E-B-A-U-C-O-M.com. That's leebalcom.com. This is Lee Balcom wishing you the best as you build your thriving life. listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thrivology.com or at ThrivologyMagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. Uh-huh.